Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Author Eke. I'm Travis, your host. And today I have Jeffrey Higgins. And I went out and I looked at his website. I read his bio. Absolutely amazing. He's been a patriot, to say the least. Um, and uh, he's written some pretty cool books. He's got a new one coming out, I believe, Thursday, you said, this this week, uh, which would be the 29th of March, of February. That's right. So. It's Leap Day. It's a forever game. It leaps into the world on Leap Day. It's a, it's a cool book birthday. It's only get to celebrate <laughs> it once every four years. But yeah, it's a cool date. I'm, I'm looking Excellent. forward to it. It's a techno thriller that deals with art, artificial intelligence. And uh, wow, okay. a bunch of manuscripts coming out. I'm with, I'm with four different publishers and I've got a bunch of stuff like coming out. But I wanted mm-hmm. to get this one out fast because honestly, the stuff I'm writing about it is starting to like happen and come true. And I just I wanted, I wanted to get out in front of it a little bit. And you don't want the FBI at your house too soon. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so interesting about- right about stuff that's like in the, in the world or contemporary yeah. issues or whatever. It's really hard with the timing, you know, like I, I have a book that's coming out uh, with Severn river. It'll be next June. Mm-hmm. And I have a scene that takes place in Ukraine. And I wrote that before the war, you know, it, wow. I, I had to make some uh, adjustments in that to make yeah. it work. So tell us about yourself. I mean, you got a very, a very interesting resume. Oh, thanks. I started as a journalist. I want to be a writer all my life. Um, I, I ended up working as a private investigator in between like uh, journalism jobs. And I, I think it would be good fodder for books. And that exposed me to a lot of people who want to get into law enforcement who I hadn't been exposed to before. And I got really interested in it. I, I read a, you know, a lot of books about it. There was um, The Underground Empire by uh, Mills was the author. And it was about a, a group within DEA that looked like a worldwide uh, transnational criminal organizations. I thought it was so fascinating. It got me really interested. Mm-hmm. And so like once I kind of was bitten by the bug, I became a cop. I was in Tampa, Florida at the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. I used to work I, there. Oh, did you really? In no Tampa, kidding. yeah. Where the best or the Outback restaurant had their headquarters right off of Veterans and by the mall, by the big mall, by the airport. Oh yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a, it's a fun town. I was, I was in patrol at the beginning and I was in, I, you know, I chose the worst neighborhoods and, you know, I was in car chases all the time and fighting. I, you know, I got into a shooting and during my field training, you know, like oh, wow. it, was, it was, it was a fun place. I worked in street crimes so where I was doing undercover and hotel motel interdiction unit. Mm-hmm. And we were, we would execute our own warrants. So we were kicking in doors a couple times a week. And then nice. you know, I ended up in the organized crime bureau when I, before I left, you know, so I was doing detective work at the end and it was mm-hmm. really interesting. And I went to DEA and I was in New York and I worked with a division doing, you know, big transnational criminal groups. I'm, I'm actually libertarian. So, you know, for the drug stuff, everything has yeah. a drug nexus when you're with DEA, but I was going after like Colombian hit crews and violent oh, wow. the Dominican groups that were kidnapping people and murdering people. And, uh, I, then I went to the task force where I was working with New York state police and NYPD and I, and when 9-11 happened, I was one of the first people, actually it was myself, a Suffolk County uh, district attorney investigator and a female NYPD cop were the first three people to get to that North Tower after it came down. Well, that's so, amazing. And that day I just vowed I was going to use my investigative skills and whatever I could do to go after terrorism. And yeah. for the rest of my career, that's what I, that's what I tried to do. Well, it'll keep you busy. <laughs> yeah, no, least, it certainly right? was. I, I really had to push my agency to get into it, though. They they did not want to get subsumed by the department, newly formed Department of Homeland Security at the time, you know. And they were and they were pushing to be a, a single mission agency for drugs. Mm-hmm. And even though everything we worked was you know collateral with it, like like murder right. and things, but uh, you know, I, I pushed them to get into it. So our informant networks are all over the world. DEA has some of the best informant networks and like counter drug work is very proactive policing, you know, mm-hmm. so it stings, it's infiltrating, uh, cells, 
that operate, whether they're drugs or terrorism, they operate the same way, right? These amorphous kind of cells that get general direction, but they're independent. Yeah. And so, you know, the drug tactics that I'd used really transferred over into, into, into like counterterrorism work. And then I went to Afghanistan when we opened that office in 2000. And in 2003, I went in the beginning of 2004 as an assistant country attache and stood up the counter drug police. And I was, I was four days there, four or five days there. And I wrestled a suicide bomber who was trying to blow up a bus you know, like we just, it was, that, that was crazy. Cause it, you didn't pay. I mean, <laughs> where's your ticket? <laughs> so I remember when I was in the army, uh, my first tour, 1978. And back then it was the red brigade and the Biter Meinhof gang, right? Yeah. Those were those terrorists back in, in Europe that were, you know, they kidnapped, I think the Italian president Moro, I believe his name was, but uh, Biter Meinhof gang was definitely really involved in terrorism and, in Europe. And I think that kind of just manifested itself into what we have today. I mean, there's always been terrorists. I mean, you know, the, the guy that killed, uh, France from, uh, Austria to start the, you know, basically start world war one terrorist. So they've been around and now they're just, uh, they're, I think they're more out there because it, social media, it gives them a good outlet, you know, to prophesize their propaganda. Yeah, no, that definitely happens. We've got people. There's a guy in New York who's openly uh, calling for jihad on this in Times Square. He's been doing it for years. Yeah. First, the police know about him. The FBI knows about him. They won't do anything. You know, he's, yep. he's openly calling for specific attacks overseas that are then happening. Uh, you know, when you're talking about like Islamic terrorism, too, it's a, it's a whole different ideological ballgame. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, these, these are people who crave death who right. want to die and who, you know, who want to go to paradise. And it's, yep. it's just different than someone else who has political goals, who does not want to end up dead at the end of it. Which is different from ours. I mean, you know, our, our, most people's philosophy is I want, I want to live as long as I can and have a prosperous life, help people do good. You know, most people, but then you have the people that don't care and want to die. Then you're like, that's a different kind of enemy to, 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 to fight. Right. Because they fight very more unconventional, or more ruthless or barbaric than the other, right? I mean, you know, blowing up whoever, you know, car bomb with 100 pounds of, uh, you know, C4 or ammonium nitrate or whatever, set up in the you know, middle of, a, of the square and blow it up. You're like, well, that, that, you got to be pretty sick or something. Well, I mean, they're propagandized from a really young age, you know, and they're in there and and it's a, you know, fundamental Islam is a supremacist religion, you know, where if you're not in the religion, you're, 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 you're expendable, you know, and that's what not all Muslims believe, obviously, but it's it's what the fundamentalists believe. And so the people are blowing themselves up and the people who are, you know, radicalizing them in madrasas in Pakistan and across the Middle East and even in this country, you know, that's, that's what they believe. So it's a different kind of enemy. So when... So you you did some great work, right? Then you said, oh, now I'm going to write a book. <laughs> so so, so <laughs> what was the first book you ever wrote and what was the catalyst behind that? So I wrote when I was a little kid, like I would write these, these horrible, you know, books with like anthropomorphized, you know, animals going on adventures and I'd illustrate them and things. I always wanted to be oh, a wow. writer and I yeah. got into journalism. So my parents always told me, you know, you can't make a living as a writer, which turns out to be pretty true. <laughs> and then, you know, then I, I wrote a book true. like in, in college and after college, which I didn't finish. I the first book I wrote, I kind of wrote in a, in a Robert Parker's voice, you know, the Spencer books, you know, yeah. he's one of the people I was reading. I think, I think yeah. most authors do that when they first start out, they, whoever they're reading, whoever they idolize, they kind of write in that voice until they find their own. 
and I wrote a little bit, but through through my 25 years in, in you know law enforcement, I mean, I was you know I spent years like embedded with special forces with the A teams, and, and I was in combat with the SEALs, and I was all over the world in these austere environments, and and plus with my security clearances, it was really hard like to write. But so when I when I finally retired, when I when I'd done enough and was right. ready, I, I couldn't yep. wait to get back to writing. So the first book I wrote after that, well, I wrote two, and the first one published was Furious. Sailing into Terror, which is psychological suspense. It's won a bunch of awards. I'm mm -hmm. proud of it. You know, with every book you write, you get better. You know, like when right. I finish one editing iteration on a book and I go back to the beginning, I'm like, oh man, so you do just keep getting better. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell has that 10,000 hour rule, you know, to achieve mastery in, in any discipline. And that's mm -hmm. roughly a million words for writers, which I, I'm pretty sure I'm over that now. Man, that's a lot of words. It's a lot of words, but I mean, honestly, it's a, it's the little, it's like, like people, like I'm on LinkedIn, right? So, you know, former military and former cops and agents, they'll reach out to me all the time and say, Hey, I want to write a book. And I try to give them advice. so They don't make the same mistakes I did. Right. And they don't make all these other mistakes where they're spending money when they don't have to. But you know, when, like when I, I'll say, I used to like read more, but I just don't have the time now, but I'll, I'll say, mm -hmm. send me a page, send me your first two pages. Right. And I'll, and I'll get them on the phone and I'll just tell them, cause you can see all the like rookie mistakes because I made them and I probably still make them, you know, but yeah. it's, it's easier to see it in somebody else's work. And, uh, but, the, but over time you can, that, that those rules get ingrained in you and you just stop making them, you know? So my first right. book, I probably did 30 or 40 editing iterations. And now it's like, you know, maybe three or four or five tops because now, those, what I do is I, uh, when I'm, I'll write and then I'll go back and edit. I mean, I'm not even finished with it. I'll go back and start editing from the beginning. I'll, I'll print it and read it and then edit on there and then take it back up and then, you know, continue the writing process. And I've done it uh, over time. And I think my writing has gotten better based on the edits that I've got just back from my last book, right? Which was more less than uh, I got from the first book. So I, I, that, I, so how do you, do you pick a time to write? Do you pick a, a, a goal to write a day or you just, I'm going to write until the thoughts are done. Yeah, no, I, I, I really believe it's about a writing practice, you know? So like anything else, it's like, it's really good to have, like, you can do a word count, a page count, you can have a, a number of hours you're working, whatever it is. And it's, you know, people, it, there isn't one thing that fits everybody. So you kind of have to do what works for you. But if yeah. you're, you know, spending all your time on Facebook or something, you realize you're not getting your writing done. What I do is I'm sharpest in the morning. So I'll get up and I'll coffee. I check the email to make sure it's not an emergency. And then I write. And right now, my wife and I have a restaurant. It's her restaurant. And we turned it into a literary salon. So I'm doing literary events there. But I'm also working as her general manager in front of house manager. So I, that's Give it a plug. Up. Give What's it a that? plug. Give it a plug. <laughs> yeah, it's Elaine's, Elaine's in Old Town Alexandria. It's on Queen okay. Street. Um, and so we, we've, I mean, I've interviewed probably 50 authors there in the last 11 months, you know, so we, 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 we give free space to authors where it's a, it's a, we've made it this salon where it's like a safe space for readers and writers. We have, you know, mystery writers of America and Royal Writers secret society and sisters in crime and all these groups that come and do events there. And then we, nice. we host book clubs. And, and if, if, if a writer has a book coming out, I always tell them we'll find a time and we'll do it for free and we'll do an interview with you and give you this beautiful space where you can celebrate your work. So that's, that's taken up a ton of my time, like during the day. So right now I'm going to take you up on that because I'm going to, I go to uh, DC often to visit my son. So yeah, no, please do. That. And when you have a, when you have a book coming out or something, that's already come out. If you want to do it, yeah. we'll set it up. I mean, it's, awesome. it, it's, it's, I'm not a restaurateur, you know, I'm just doing this for my, for my wife right now, but it's, mm -hmm. it's, I enjoy that. I enjoy helping authors yeah. out. I mean, I know how hard it is when you, when you have a book out and you go to a Barnes and Noble or something, maybe you only get a handful of people show up or you, you know, even just trying to get to a venue 
and yeah. we don't charge anything. So there's this huge predatory industry that's crapped up around authors and all they want to do is take money from authors. And I know we're not making anything, you know, we don't have we, any money. <laughs> so we don't, we don't take, we don't take the only thing I will take from an author when they come is if they want to donate a copy of their book of to the restaurant, I'll have them sign it to Elaine's and we put it up on a shelf where people can see it. Yeah. That, so that you make, that's a great point that you just brought up. And what I think is uh, every, every author struggles with is, you know, when I look at a book, I, I cut the book in three pieces. It's writing the book, right? It's getting the book formatted, edited, and ready to go. Then there's a marketing of the book. And those aren't even equal pies. I think marketing is far harder than writing because, like you said, there's so many predatory. I didn't know most of the people that uh, promote books are from Nigeria. I mean, I, I wouldn't have ever thunk it my whole life, right? Uh, but that's where I get all my requests from. So, but I, so how do you, what do you find most effective from a marketing perspective? You know, so marketing is a whole different skill set than the writing, right? It's even different than editing. So, but authors, you have, have to do it. Even if you're with a big five, you're going to have to do some promotion. And mm -hmm. I, I, I like people to think about it more like branding, you know? So it's not like you're going to do like a podcast and then people are going to buy a ton of your books right after it. I mean, you might sell some, but it's mm -hmm. more just the more people see you, hear you, or might be interested in your work. It's about exposure, you know? Yep. And the, the rule in advertising is like, they see you like seven times before they, before they take action. And it's, you know, it's, that's probably true. You know, it's sort of what I found is the marketing that's effective is something where people can see your book, you know, like, like for instance, on an ad, like in Facebook, like Facebook mm -hmm. ads are very effective, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's a title, it's a description, it's an image, and then it's the hidden audience of the demographic you're going after. So those, yep. those four components. So if you have like a, like, and I, I found that like headlines that are really on the nose, you know, top thriller, that kind of thing, and just tell people exactly what it is with a very compelling image, an image that makes people go, oh, that looks interesting. I want to hear what this is. Then when they look at the description, that has to get, catch them, right? You have to catch them with the log line, the short back jacket copy. So when they have that and they can click on it and it takes them right to like an Amazon link page, for example, that that's a pretty effective click through rate and then a sell through rate. If it's like, if you're, if you, if you have like a, a print, ad or something the person has to get it remember it or pull up the internet there's all these other steps that have to go to get them to your book and i don't think those are very effective or at least they haven't been in my experience i um I, I equate that to the elevator pitch right in sales let's say you're in an elevator and you got somebody with you and they ask you what do you do you got 30 seconds before they get off the elevator what do you do boom boom you know, bottom line up front like i said the picture right? You got to grab them. You got to get the headlines. You got to grab them. Then you got to let them ask at least a question or two and then set them. Yeah. It has to be intriguing, right? That you're, you're competing as an author with like Netflix and Hulu and all these other yeah. entertainment, you know, passive entertainment, but reading a book, it happens in the reader's mind. So you've got to, you've got to, you've got to excite their imagination a little bit. That's why cover art is so critical and yes. good publishers know that. And there's a lot of, uh, actual data behind what works and what doesn't. And interestingly, a lot, there's, there's themes that happen in, in like big five publishing mm -hmm. that have nothing to do with the data. People tend to do what they've done in the past or a trend happens and one book sells that's within that trend and everyone tries to do it. But you know, it's like, it's, but it's the image itself. That's what really grabs people in in an intriguing title too. Yeah. And then, you know, after the, the you know, the 50th book in the up in the series you're like okay i'm done this guy cannot do anything else <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna read another book for the he can't do anything else there's no way um so tell us about your latest book that's coming out on the 29th of february 
Yeah. So this one deals with uh, artificial intelligence. I actually had a friend who was in that field and he knew a, a CEO of an AI company in Silicon Valley that was offering a friends and family beta program where they would basically download these people's minds. Right. And I mean, we're about, we're, we're at this in, coming up on this inflection point with artificial intelligence and mm-hmm. you're seeing it with like little things, right? Where you'll get AI will say, Hey, do you want AI to create this text for you or whatever? That's no. just the minor stuff. I mean, we're, we're about to hit a point where all life is going to change. Like it literally, I mean, think about how the internet changed. It's, it's just the information age, how that changed your daily life from like the 1970s to, to now. And this is going to be so much more because, because artificial intelligence will go beyond human understanding. It'll be moving faster than we can. And when you look at like quantum computing, where they're creating these states where you can have these just massive number of computations happening, I mean, we're not going to be able to follow it. It's going to be a, at a higher level than humans can understand, right? So, every- so what do you think that takes writing? Where do you think that's going to take the literary community? Because now you'll see that people are actually you know, uh, audiobooks. Some of them are, are AI generated, right? But they don't have the the feeling. They don't have the inflection in the voice. They don't have the the, the motions or the mood. Um, and then now when you publish a book on Amazon, it asks you if it had, it was it AI contribute, could AI contribute to the book. So, you know, you get a lot of people in the literary community who are sort of Luddites. You get a lot of artists who are fearful of change, you know, and, and I get it. And there, listen, there's, there's things that artificial intelligence can do that's amazing and that will, right. that will extend life for, you know, hundreds of years, right? Like there's, it's amazing what it will be able to do, but there's a, there's a huge downside in the back of our minds, right? We're all thinking Skynet and the end of the world. Terminator. Robot overlords, you know, <laughs> and there, there actually is some truth to that. Like there have, yeah. there have to be kill switches. There have to be human intervention. In I'd rather see it like the Jetsons. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm like for the Jetsons. So the Jetsons, but a lot of that stuff, I mean, it, it will, it'll make everything easier. Yeah. Like, so in the literary community, like right now, we're at the very beginning, and you're, you're saying, "Oh, well, the audio is not as good." You're sure, of course, it's not. Right. But in a year, it will be, you know. And, right. and one of the things they're doing is now they're taking your own voice, so you, in your own voice, with your own inflection and the way you talk and your cadence yeah. and everything, and they'll do a book with that. So it'll be indistinguishable whether you are reading it or the AI is just using your voice. And so that's just one example. So yeah, I believe audio narr- narrators are going to go away. I believe that'll mm-hmm. just disappear. But it'll take time because. I mean, it's so, I don't know if you've ever tried to narrate your own book, but it's brutal. Like it is so hard. You, you have to oh, be, yeah, I, could, I couldn't, that would, yeah, I, I already have trouble not, uh, putting all the words together. <laughs> no, it's, it's really that. hard and keeping it interesting yeah. and then doing accents and doing, and doing different speech patterns with characters. I mean, there's so much to it. So even actors, right. Who are like, you know, A-list actors have trouble doing it sometimes. So book narrators who are good at it are as popular as authors. Like people just follow oh, yeah. the narrators themselves. Cause it's so hard. Yeah. Eventually I think that will go away. I think, uh, things like, you know, uh, graphic artists and cover designers, I think that will go away. I mean, there's always, there will always be room for independent creation you know, right. I mean, at some point, like right now, the writing that comes out of AI is just awful, but that'll change too. And it'll be very mm-hmm. good, you know, but uh, it doesn't mean that a human being can't come up with some unique high concept thing and can't have a unique human take on it. Eventually those things will merge, I think. But I think the, the actual writing, the prose, I think that'll be something that from ha- have a much longer life, you mm-hmm. know, even with AI, but all the mundane things we do now will go away. I mean, think about like, uh, you know, having a, a shirt manufacturer in some place and how you it used to be a loom and people had one shirt, you know, and now, and it's good that the mundane jobs are taken over by AI. And that's, what's going to happen when, when we yeah, have driving cars, I, all the deaths go away, all the traffic goes away. You know, it'll, it'll, it, these are really good things. 
I, I think the, the the first thing that AI ought to do for business is get rid of all the C-level. Because the C-level, all they do is make decisions. Now, the AI can make decisions without emotion. Right. Just look on the logic of it or the the or the the bottom line, right? I, th- I think a lot of those, you know, C level positions, other than you know, maybe the CEO because he owns a company or whatever, could be eliminated because they're like, oh, I, okay, I, what do I need a CFO for if I do all the calculations without any type of, you know, once I get all the input? Or sure, I mean, marketing office. There is certainly a role for that, but also emotion and empathy and and some of those things are important as well that a machine yeah, can't recreate, right? Right, right. And so, like, like I don't know if you heard about the the drone operator who they they were using an AI operated drone, and at one and the mission was kill the enemy. And at one point, you know, because there are certain parameters, you can't like attack a civilian center, you can't do this, you can't do that. Right. At one point, the AI this just happened like within the last year. This is a, a real thing, a real military drone. And at one point, the AI figured out, you know, what's holding me back from destroying the enemy the operator who's telling me all these things i can't do so it turned on the guy who's operating the drone and you know in the simulation and killed him oh you know so that's something without emotion but i think i saw that in a movie yeah but it's real it's a it, it war game this year and there's lots of it so having the human component is really good so in my book i don't talk about you know i'm not advocating for one thing or the other it's a it's yeah. a thriller it's a fast-paced thing it's a it's a DEA agent whose uh, girlfriend is dying from cancer so he quits his job so he can take care of her and he joins his brother's artificial intelligence company as like a, a security guy just as a way to pay the bills and then scientists at this company start dying and, you know, so I talk about like the different levels of artificial intelligence a little bit, like you don't have to know any of this stuff. I give you just enough right. plot going. So I'm writing a thriller. I'm not writing a textbook. And, and quite right. frankly, I don't know it, you know, so I, I put in there just what you need to know. And then, you know, and like there's things like, uh, you know, with life extending technologies like nanobots, right? They can they yeah. can they can put these nanobots into your bloodstream and they can detect and analyze and assess, find disease earlier than we ever could before. And then they can literally treat it all by themselves. And that's the kind of thing that's going to extend life forever. And the fact that we can, we'll be able to recreate organs, we'll be able to, you know, the human substrate, which fails us, will be able to be fixed. But it goes beyond that, right? It goes, what I was talking about, downloading people's minds, downloading their their neural processes. Like, it really brings up these questions about what it means to be human. And when we can, when we can do that in a very accurate way, I, all these ethical and moral questions come up. And, and certainly the first two of these events is going to, is going to make all the money, you know? And I and think that, if they downloaded my brain, they would go, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> is he already done? I mean, come on, <laughs> come on give us something else. <laughs> it's fast. Tickle it. You know, it's interesting. Tickle it, do stuff. something. Yeah. So it takes, is it uh, present or is it future or? I, I, I'm characterizing it as near future. So it's, near future. it's contemporary, yeah. but the, the uh, technology is just slightly advanced. But so what happened was I wrote this, like I started it in 2020, you know, I think I wrote it in six months and it kind of set aside. I have, all the, yeah. I have like 11 manuscripts in the process right now mm-hmm. with various publishers. And, and then I went back to it and then my publisher was asking for it. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get, so one of my publishers, I gave it to him. Because the things I was writing about are happening now. Like they were yeah. more theoretical when I did it. That's spooky. Let me just get this thing out. It has a shelf life, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think it's 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 really uh, relevant to what we're going through right now. But it's a thriller. It's just for fun, right? It's a it's a right. it's a high pace fast paced, you know, high energy, high octane kind of thriller. So I love it, doing the research for the books. I do on my on my thriller series, uh, Team Texture Arcana, I do a lot of research. I do a lot with uh satellite. And software for satellites, uh, you know, being able to do different things. Be able to want if I if I did the job, what would I want it to do? 
and I come from a technology background, so I do a lot of the research on there, and I love that. And then the latest book, my World War One fiction book, uh, is historical fiction. I did a lot of research, and there's interesting things what you find when you do this research. Just nuggets of things like, wow, that's like where did the name trench coat come from? British, 1916, War, World War One. In, in, but where did it or, come from? Like what? Where? Yeah, the word. Yeah, trench coat. You know, and or some other things. Or Halloween. Halloween really was not uh, a candy event until World War One, where the government needed something to feed the soldiers to get them at high energy quickly. Oh, interesting. Hence the can the chocolate candy bar. I mean, it's a lot of different things when you read that. What I find so I love to do in the research and. Because A, when I go to a party, I have just a plethora of information that <laughs> everybody's like, thanks. We're gonna we're gonna go over here right now, talk to somebody who's not freaking me out or something. <laughs> no, it's interesting. And I mean it's a double edged sword too, like as a writer, because you can get into the research and then you can just bury yourself in it. And yes. there's a certain amount you have to do, right? If you write things that are just clearly wrong, you, people don't aren't able to like suspend their disbelief when they're reading it. It takes them out of the story. So you want to get it right. But also, and also sometimes you do all this research in a lot of it, and then you want to put it in the book because you've done all this work and it's super mm-hmm. interesting. But if it doesn't drive the character, if it doesn't drive plot, you got to yep. take it out. You got to take it what out. What I found is the little things, right? Like there's the little mentions in a sentence of the trench coat or this or that gives yes. people the feel of it, the language of things. And, and that's enough. There's a, there's a you, book, um, Garden of Beasts your, by Jeffrey Deaver that I recommend for historical uh, fiction. It was one of the best ones I've seen done. Huh. Do you, does your book have the same characters in them or are there new characters in all the books? So all my books are standalones. Um, I've written a couple to be a uh, potential series. The first one unseen, I had a series mapped out for it. Mm. It did okay, but it didn't do as well as I wanted to. And I had other books um, the one I just wrote could be certainly could be a series. Um, you know, it's right. definitely open oh, to yeah. that. I have it in mind. And I just signed a four book deal with Seven River Publishing and they they bought the first book and the next one's due in August. That'll, the, the book I, I sent them is the Havana Syndrome and that'll be out in uh, June of 2025. So that's oh, a cool. series, but all the rest Excellent. are standalones. Uh, yeah. It, it, when, I, when I write my series, I'm like, in the first book, you introduce the team in detail. How much do you do in the subsequent books to get the reader to know who these people are and where they come from, what they do? Because you want to, yeah. you know, copy chapter for chapter. That that's interesting, to, you know, conundrum to to do. It's, it's to, hard, to but because you want each book to be readable without the the reader going all the way back yeah. to book one. So if you have yeah. twenty books into a series, but you also have to give them what they need to know. And, you, and so you can do it quickly, you know, a few sentences. You don't have to yep. go into detail. I mean, I think you do it. You just write on the nose, give them exactly what they need. This is who this is and whatever. Yep. You could do it in conversation. You could do it as exposition. Just give it to them, but really fast. What you don't want to do is do these huge info dumps, especially at the beginning of a book. So you need to right. like, for, by the way, that's a good good lesson for all writing, right? Like I, when I first started, I was writing flashbacks and doing. I don't do any of that anymore. It's if I, if I have to get backstory or something like that, I'll do less than a paragraph. I usually try for two or three sentences tops because right. you can give them what they need, but you don't really kill the pacing completely. If you if you stop right. the action, and I see this with like first time writers all the time. Page one, they drop you right in the action. You got some things going. By the end of page one, they're already giving you backstory, and it, and there's no room for backstory in in chapter one. Yeah, I had to do it for my latest one of four. I had to give a back uh, like a three page because it set up the rest of the book because it had to be out there in front. 
because some things I did the rest of the book. But yeah, uh, or you're or you got to grab them quick, right? You got to put some action in there quick and go. Okay, now I need to read, 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 read because you want to make it fast paced. Uh, you know, to get them through the story. Uh, so yeah, the keys you filter it in. You just give them a little bit here and there. You can also do it in a conversation. There's a lot of like little techniques you can use where they mm-hmm. hear the readers hearing it, but it's in natural in the conversation or whatever. You know, you just you can see it done poorly too, right? Where someone's just re- reciting all the things that they why they're there and the stakes and everything. Exactly. And that's that's yeah. clumsy. <laughs> yeah, you don't want you don't want to do that. Um, the next the, the one I'm the third in my series is called Behind You, Chef. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of it's why it, why it's called that, but it's kind of interesting. But I got I got about halfway done with it, and then I had this idea for this World War One historical fiction book, so I put it away, and I concentrated on that on the world war one fiction got it done uh now i'm going back to that because now it's okay now i feel fresh with it and go back and look at it uh because that has some backdrop in the uh nord ost theater in moscow it has a little bit of background on that uh that whole thing so we'll see but yeah it's interesting so you're you're in the minority by the way the fact like like so many people like uh, writers, like I would say the majority of writers do that. You have a great, like high concept idea. Some people outline, some people write by the seat of their pants, just get through, but they get to that muddy middle or they get 30,000 words in or whatever. And now it's hard. And now they're, they're having issues and plot issues or whatever. And the the guys who go back, like you do this too. So you're doing, you must have a great work ethic because you're doing two things that are huge pitfalls for authors. One is they'll stop and they'll go back and they'll redo chapter one and they'll start over and they'll, and then they just iterate back and forth and the book never gets finished. The other thing they'll do is they'll have a new shiny idea and we all get those, right? I keep, I have 150 (laughs) or something ideas. on. Oh yeah. I'm constantly adding. I got folders full of them. Yeah. (laughs) Write it down and put it away. Like it's because if you stop that book you're writing and first off, you're out of the world. Now you got to go into another book and then they get 30,000 words into that one. Then they have another idea. Right. So I always tell people just get to the end of that book as fast as you can. And then spend as much time as you want editing it. No one else ever has to see it. But there's really something to be learned by starting a book, getting through that middle, and then finishing it. Then you can go back and you can do change character arcs and fix characters yeah. and fix plot holes and add scenes and delete scenes. And But you can't do that if you don't have it finished. And, yeah, and I, I usually set a date. Most people do that. Most people just don't finish. Yeah, I set a date. I'll set a date. I want to be done with this book. This date. And I said, okay. So I set this one uh, sort of fiction uh, mid February, end of mid February. I just got back from the from the editor, right? So I got the cover art, and everything. Now I'm going to go, you know, the formatting aspect of it. And so what do I want to finish behind you, Chef? Um, or Chef behind you, I think is probably, you know, August, September sometime because i need to promote this book mm-hmm. so you're promoting books you're writing books and you're thinking about other stuff to be able to write about there's always uh, i mean I'm, I'm doing like five projects at the same yep. time i'm editing a book with severn river i'm editing a manuscript that's due to my agent now that it's a it's a historical thing too so i know it's kind of yeah. what you're going through i've got yep. this new book launching right now i have another book for Severn river due in august and then i have yep. another publisher that was once was in quite the book in january you know, so that's all going on at the same time. Then you have the oh, marketing, yeah. then you have the other stuff. So you are super disciplined. But if if I would I would venture that if if ninety percent of the people tried to do the way you're doing it, they would fail. Mm. You you need you need incredible discipline to be able to go back to it, and you you set good goals. Like all that's yep. great. 
Mm-hmm. But, the, but the leaving a book in the middle and going to do something else, that's a huge problem for most but people. I, then I'm going back and reading it. I'm going, man, this is pretty cool. I'm so muffin. No, that's so, great. I mean, the, by the way, when you go back, and I, I tell everyone to do this too. When you finish a book, set it aside for a couple of weeks. Then when you come back, you you know, it's not what you had in your head and what you wanted to say. It's what you actually said. So you read it like a reader would read it. And when you're reading it going, oh, like half the time you don't even remember writing the stuff, right? You're like, oh my yeah. God, this is pretty good. Or you, I can't believe I wrote some of it. Like, yeah. where did this come from? I'm not that smart. Uh, it's a, it, uh, we all get that feeling and that's a really yeah. good sign, right? Or if you're surprising yourself and going, oh, I would read this, you know, like that's really good. But that's a also, big word. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to first look something up. Like, first draft too. It can be fixed. You know I mean? We do, everyone does a lot of editing. Then if you're working with an agent, like my agent does a lot of editing. Um, the publishers have editors and layers, you know, structural editing, copy yeah. editing, proofreading. So by the time you get this out there, if, if you have good editing, a lot of eyes have been on it, you know. Yeah. I, I also recommend people use beta readers, like for this yeah. November game, the, the techno thriller that's coming out. I had one of the guys who was one of the founders of the internet read it. You know, I, I had another guy who runs an AI company read it, and they right. made some great suggestions to make it better. I also have a critique group, and they read early pages and, and yeah. made some great suggestions for me. So I had a uh, a, hist- a presidential historian and uh, a, a SMU uh, read this historical fiction. Oh, it's fantastic. And I would send him some things and say, oh, oh, no, no, this is, this is actual, you know, how, how we write it, or this is, you know, true. So that, that came in and I, he read the whole thing. I just got his feedback. Um, and then the feedback from the, the proofreader, the editor is good. And some other folks that have looked at it, uh, yeah, because you, I, it's good to get other eyes on it because you, be, you become focused on just you know looking at it now, that's why i have to print it out i like to print it out and read it like a book then they oh you get the pencil out you, you know mark it up and that's really helped me on this one so you got this one coming out on thursday which is pretty cool and uh, uh so are you all excited you got did all your uh everything lined up so what I'll, know, do is I'll, I mean, I'll put this i'll put this out uh i'll put this out tomorrow Okay, go great. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I am just so busy. I I haven't even I I posted one time about it. I've got a book launch at a restaurant at Elaine's, and so I okay. did an event bright and I posted that. So I think I've got a full house. I cap it at fifty. I think I've got a full house for that, which will be fun. And then I'll have nice. to, you know I'll email everybody I know. It's a big. Th- what you, what I, my plan, my strategy is right. always to trigger the Amazon algorithms. You know, eighty percent of all books are bought on Amazon right now, and that's not just it's a higher number per digit. And I can't all figure books. that out. <laughs> so what you want to you know, you want to have like the categories, and you always want to have one a couple of the smaller categories in there because if you can reach number one, they give you the little gold number one bestseller banner, you know, so people see that. But also uh, they'll do free advertising for you, so it'll trigger their own organic advertising where they'll put the numbers one, two, and three books up. You know, people are looking for like yeah. uh, you know psychological suspense. If yours is in the top three, they'll put up they'll have your cover yeah. up there, and then you'll get on the list, and then they'll start. And no one knows how the algorithms work exactly, but they do once you get once you get like sustained interest where people are rating it people are buying it people are clicking on it and then amazon starts recommending it you know if you like this you might also like this or if you bought this author you might like this author but that'll only happen if people show a lot of interest and there's like 2.3 million self-published books and the majority of them are every month it's phenomenal how many are coming out every month too it's insane i mean there's about 3 million books a year that are coming out in english in the you know in the u.s that are available and uh, so you have to separate yourself somehow from them. So what I found is really sustained sales in those first few weeks. 
can yeah. so like like we don't know exactly how the algorithm works, but if you sell a hundred books, say they give you a score of a hundred. I'm just making this mm-hmm. up the numbers. The next day they give you a score that you start at a score of like 50. So you only need half as many sales the next day to maintain mm-hmm. it. So if you can actually keep the same sales going, you will grow in ranking. And that's, that's roughly how they're, how it's been explained to me, how it works, but however it works, <laughs> sustained sales, sustained engagement will, uh, will drive it. And so that's what I shoot for the first few weeks. I really, I, I really try to get every, all my friends and family and, you know, colleagues, and I'm in a lot of writing groups and I, I try to reach out to all of them and say, Hey, yep. I'd really appreciate it if you download the book. I mean, you get like a digital copy for what, six ninety nine or something, you know, it's, yeah, like, it's, pretty, pretty, yeah. <laughs> it's basically a latte, you know, but it, but it makes a big difference. And you can read it while you're drinking a latte. <laughs> so that's <laughs> coffee, not included, right? <laughs> Gift certificate in the back. There's the QR code in the back. <laughs> sure. so, that'd be interesting put it that is that that is actually an interesting idea do that like, is a uh, good idea to put a qr code on the back and get one cup of coffee free at yeah joint promotion with with starbucks where they get like a half off or a free coffee or something and get starbucks to uh to put it up on a rack it's not a bad I'm idea always working man i'm always working <laughs> so i'm old I'd probably do it at, when i probably do it at a brewery i'd probably do it at a brewery. now you're talking yeah that sounds better <laughs> hey, yeah yeah half off a guinness <laughs> yeah yeah, well, man. yeah i can do that well jeffrey it's been a pleasure talking to you today and uh most excited about your book all your books uh and again thank you for what you've done for the country and uh what you've done to the other people that haven't been good to our country. (laughs) (laughs) Mainly that. (laughs) I've really enjoyed this. I I love talking to other writers. It's one of my favorite things to do. So thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. When I did, when I, when I wrote, when I was writing my first book and wrote it and I was like, I don't know diddly squat about anything of authoring or writing community or nothing. So what I'll do is I'll start a uh, podcast to talk to other authors whether they're established, whether they're new, and hopefully I'll be able to provide a little bit of information for them so they'll won't have the pitfalls that I ran into or other authors have ran into uh, and be able to have a more pleasant experience because I can tell people that everybody's got a story. You just got to get it out there, right? And we want to hear it. Yeah. And, I, and by the way, if you have like new authors, uh, just let me, I'm going to beg them, do not spend money on things. Do not, do not, if people are coming to you looking for thousands of dollars to do, just don't, don't do it do as it. an author, you're creating a product and you should get paid for that product. Yep. And even if you're, if you're, you I mean, you can traditional publish, you can traditional publish with independent publishers. You can go to small presses. Mm-hmm. I, I would avoid the hybrids. I know there's a few that do a good job and, and, are, and give a reasonable service, but a lot of them are predatory. A lot of them are. And they'll take a ton of money from you and they won't do anything that you just couldn't do yourself or hire a couple of people for a few hundred bucks to do. So just yeah. be really careful. If, if anyone's asking you for money, they're making their money from you, not from selling your book. And that, that's a really just a oh, yeah. general rule to, to, to understand. That's a great idea. Well, Jeffrey, it's been a pleasure. And I am going to stop in your restaurant and I'm going to plan maybe like the 20th of April. That would be, <laughs> that would be great. We, yeah, if, if you want to do an event, shoot me an email and we'll, we'll right. get you scheduled. I'll never say no to an author. We'll always. I think I'll just go in there and have a, uh, some, a great dinner, some wine and uh, introduce my son to y'all's restaurant and uh, wife and everything and just make it one of our places we like to go to. We go to uh, love uh, it. Virginia. You're, you're always welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank it's you my very pleasure. much. Thanks for having me on. Bye-bye.